All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd first like to thank our sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Fox, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, O'Neill, and Even Strokes for all their incredible support. As without them, none of this would be possible. All right, we've got a couple of regulars on the MX Vice podcast back for this one. We've got firstly Lorenzo Resta. How are you, mate? I'm fine. Thank you, Ed. I'm really fine and uh, excited to go to Turkey to start this final part of the season as uh, that would be great. Yeah, mate. And we're also joined by MX Vice's Ben Rumbold. How's life, mate? Fresh from the VMXDN. Everything's good and life's good? Yeah, I wouldn't use the word fresh. Just about recovering from is probably the right statement from VMXDN Fox Hill, the uh, the Grand Prix that that, uh, that that should be, perhaps still, because, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. And, uh, yeah, interesting that the FI, there were uh, two people with FIM T-shirts walking around, uh, maybe making notes as to uh, what's going on. Why, why are all these people here watching a motocross uh, when they're not at MHGP? <laughs> yeah, mate, it certainly was a massive event, massive turnout. Everyone was getting right into it. But, yeah, we might touch on again on that later. But, yeah, Lorenzo... Firstly, how excited are you for Turkey, mate? It's a track that divides opinion. The entry list is always a little bit less at that one. It's a long distance, but usually provides some pretty interesting racing. So we'll keep an eye on it, mate. And are you excited to be heading there again? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, that's uh, that's a key race for both Championship MX2 and MXGP, even if, of course, the, the number of points of the leaders uh, is, uh, is quite, uh, quite uh, huge. But um, but you never know, as we saw in uh, during through the seasons, uh, uh, everything can happen in every moment. Uh, it will be really exciting, also because uh, there's a um, the WMX there, uh, where the, the the competition for the title is quite hot at the moment, uh, and of course there's uh, uh, the penultimate round of uh, the EMX 250, what uh, can be really interesting as Andrea is. Uh, uh, leading the championship with uh, uh, quite a good advantage on uh, on Kars- Kai Kersamakers, but uh, still not enough to to celebrate. I think there, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm quite excited. It's uh, it's not my favorite track, I can say. It's uh, it's a beautiful country. I love to go there. Uh, this year, unfortunately, I will not have the time to stop over a little bit, like in uh, Istanbul or. Uh, like really nice places because it's a country with a fantastic history, background and everything. Uh, I always found um, uh, the people there really warm and uh, and nice uh, with us. But the track really, honestly, it's a kind of track that I really don't like. Completely flat. Um, that's not paddock almost. Uh, it's dry. Uh, the dirt is so hard and uh, dusty not my favorite also for pictures and stuff like that but still we have to go there uh we had some incredible races in the past um uh, two time probably the title was uh played down on on that ground because it's a race that is coming at the end of the season so like i uh, remember the duel in between prado and jonas uh dramatic duel there uh last year was even much more dramatic with the uh, Gertz and, and Vial and, and yeah. the fight for the title at the last moto, that was something great uh, for, for everyone. I mean, probably not for, for, for the Yamaha crew and for, for Iago, but was something great. And uh, I will expect Iago just to fight 
to take back that victory that uh, that missed last year. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's outside bet that the championships are going to be decided uh, this early. Uh, although, you know, both um, both classes have got a, a healthy lead at the moment. Um, but yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on MX2? Then are we, uh, I guess we'll start with MX2 there. Um, yeah, so with MX2, I mean, the, the gap has gone from 80 points for the number 80, Andrea Adama, now down to 72 uh, for the number 72, Liam Everett. So Liam won overall, as predicted. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but yeah, it it was far from a dominant victory, and and Adamo still rode very well there, picking off Lang with Adam at the end. Uh, can you see Liam taking this all the way with Andrea, or do you think uh, Andrea is going to really start to stamp his authority on it? That's a very good question. Uh, uh, I mean, the amount of points that Andrea can lost at every race uh, in the last three rounds is quite huge uh, it's more than 20 points uh, per race uh, uh, so that's something that you can manage with even with 60 points uh, uh, given at every at every week uh, weekend uh, but um, this 72 number of points is quite familiar for uh, ever's family i guess <laughs> and uh, it's like i was thinking about uh, at the end of uh, the next round majora how many points Prado needs to have more than Fevre to celebrate the championship. It will be 61. So again, okay. something that uh, it's quite a coincidence, you know. But uh, uh, I think that Andrea can do it. Uh, the next three rounds uh, suits him very well. Are three places where uh, uh, he can do well. Uh, I think he can have also uh, someone uh, that can help him a little bit, like uh, Simon Lagenfelder, who is in a very good moment. So I'm riding this week in uh, uh, in Italy, training and doing pretty well. Is he uh, will be one of the contender for not only for the podium, I, I guess, I think also for the victory of the GP. Uh, for Liam and for Iago, it could be better at the end of the championship with more sand than is on the calendar at the moment because there's none probably. Uh, maybe Matali Bessin, if it will rain, uh, can add some thrill to to the fight but what do you mean if? Is... <laughs> what do you mean if? it's gonna rain <laughs> <laughs> about it. and uh, but anyway i think that andrea is in of course the better position but he showed also through the season that is uh, he has learned a lot uh on managing with this red plate that at the beginning was the weight was a little bit too much for him and then he started to just manage with this kind of responsibility. And in the key moments of the season, he was there, he was ready, and he showed that he can be really a fighter. I'm surprised in a qualifying race, uh, like we saw in Arnhem, we saw in uh, Finland, he was really struggling a little bit. And like he wasn't at ease completely with his ride. But then step by step he was able to just build up his gp during the first and the second moto and even on difficult tracks like uh, uh, for example arnhem was really really tricky he was doing perfectly what he needs to do so he lost just eight points through the weekend uh, to to liam who was winning a great race showing an incredible character because when he passed back iago on the sand for sure, Iago is not 100% at the moment, but 
man, I was not only surprised, I was really happy for him because this is a kind of passport for the future. You know, uh, you, you're not only riding well, winning races, doing your job with the best probably bike possible, uh, but we're already in, a, in another moment of his career. There was a moment uh, while he needed to show that he's not only the son of Stefan, but this is already the past. Now he's also shown that he really, when he wants something, is able to fight for. And beating Iago in that overtake was honestly really something great. Yeah, it was really interesting. And you've heard in the press conference that you've sent me in the past that Everts is like, I'm not going to let him have it. There's no need for any yes. team orders. I'll keep my foot on yeah. the throat as much as possible. May keep him honest, make him earn it. And I sort of <laughs> looking at some of the stats in MX2, it's like qualifying race wins Yago with six and then Coonan, DeWolf and Langenfeld with two and Adamo with just one. You know, you look at qualifying race laps led Yago 73. The next best is Simon on 33 and Adamo on seven. You know, it's crazy. The the sort of level that Yago's been on, he's just that injuries cost him so badly. And yeah, Everts has got the most points in the qualifying races now, which is pretty amazing. Ahead of but he hasn't won one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ahead of ahead of Langenfelder by six points. And yeah, Moto wins Yago eleven and Adamo's just had the four. So and Coonan and Langenfelder on five. So yeah, the GP wins Yago's still ahead of Adamo six to two. So it's quite staggering yeah. really what he's doing, mate. But yeah, Everts has certainly had a great year and all those Red Bull KTM guys are proving everyone wrong, aren't they, this season? I, I could tell yeah. you, sorry to so, sorry to butt in there, but yeah, the um, the the pass that Everett's put on Yago lo- nearly lost me my voice in the Eurosport commentary box. I can tell you that I was absolutely shouting. I was like, I've still got MXGP race two to go, and I'm like, I can barely talk here because like, yeah, it was absolutely on the limit. Um, did you see anything of the pass in that Grand Prix? Because it seemed to me that um, Hewitt's got held up slightly by a lap rider. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah, probably yes. Uh, you're right. Sorry, yeah. Go on, go on, answer his question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, talk about the numbers. Yeah, yeah, no, it's you know, while uh, at the end of last year they announced the team for 2023, the KTM factory team, most of the people in and out of the paddock was just laughing about saying, Yeah, come on, what are you doing? You should be supposed to be the stronger team out there. Okay, Iago was injured. Uh, Kai was injured. Uh, there were a lot of troubles going on for many, but at the moment they're first and second in the standings, and this says a lot. I mean, about the commitment of the group, and I think that if we need to give a special award this year to someone, it's honestly Joel uh, Smets, as he doing is doing a fantastic job, not only with. Uh, Adamo with uh, um, with Everts with uh, Sasha, but he's doing it also with Prado. Don't forget that Prado now is coached by him, and they do the strategy before the race together. They and I think that is really at the moment the key man of of the KTM group is Joel. I'm lucky enough to be uh, most of the time under the awning, close to them. Uh, I, I heard the speech of uh, of uh, Joel before the races to his boys, and wow, it's uh, it's amazing the way. And I cannot imagine why they training because this guy is able to be really serious, to have a clear vision of a lot of things. But in the meantime, it's funny, and the boys have fun with him. 
they love a lot they happy and they do their job probably a really really demanding job during the week with a smile and it's it's another key you know it's another another it's a plus value i think for for everyone uh, under that toning yeah, absolutely. And you go next, Ben. But just wanted to ask your thoughts on the track at Arnhem. Obviously, really narrow. I had a pretty cool atmosphere with the crowd pretty close. But a lot of the guys I've spoken to, like Max Spees, was saying the soil was pretty unpredictable. You know, a lot of holes in it. It was pretty sketchy. It was hard to get a flow, I guess, in a similar mould to that Lommel. It was hard to really sort of... Prado was having a few issues with it. But just your sort of take on the weekend. And obviously, it's a pretty cool GP as a Dutch GP, even though the likes of Hurlings and Valandran didn't have memorable weekends. But looked like a pretty cool round on the calendar nonetheless. I mean, uh, I, I will say something that maybe will cost me a little bit <laughs> inside the paddock, I mean, or with organizer. Um, we had fantastic races. Uh, it was raining, but the track was still uh, rideable. Uh, nothing really bad happened, uh, if I'm not wrong, apart of uh, Ivano Van Erp. Uh, he had a really bad injury and few others. But while I was uh, going around the track, first of all, I was, as a photographer, and journalist point of view, really disappointed about the fact that it was my feeling was to have to be in a cage because the fences were really high all around the track and it was really difficult to move from one point to another. I uh, I spoke with many colleagues that were really in, in serious trouble to just move uh, from one point to the other of the track. Uh, but my I was more concerned about the safety of the riders as to me to to run a track like that today in a in a mixed GP. I'm not sure that is this is the right thing to do. We have plenty of trees really close to the track. Plenty of fences really close to the track on a soil that was, as you said, absolutely unpredictable. I saw experienced riders having heavy crashes. Uh, I saw people uh, flying out of the track. And to me, it was a kind of miracle that we ended the GP without any serious injury uh, due to the to the nature of the track i would say so uh some of the places with the waves the riders were doing whatever some of the ramp of the drum were so bad and uh i saw like where fernandez crashed it was so easy to crash and to have a takeoff uh in, in a difficult situation while you're then in the air you don't know what to do and you just land hard nothing really bad happened apart of uh uh, the crash of uh, Jeffrey, but that that was a, a strange crash, not so violent and not. I don't know if it was just a lack of concentration, uh, a little mistake, and then unfortunately for him, when you're so fragile, so everything can happen. But the, that was that could happen everywhere, Lommel or uh, I don't know, Vantau, whatever. The sand is a little bit tricky, you know, but. I spent my Saturday going around the track during the practice, being scared about what can happen to a rider if he comes out of the track in this place. We had a couple of places where we were supposed to shot pictures uh, and we were behind a tree uh, that was covered with just some foam, you know, 
and uh, many riders did mistakes and went out of the track in that in that part and uh i was feeling un- uncomfortable honestly so the paddock was honestly a chaos a big chaos uh everyone i mean car parked everywhere vans parked in absolutely uh incredible way and uh, there were like few stands uh, where the people are supposed to stop to buy to, to to look at and in front you had like the open toilets where to piss you know and the smell was absolutely crazy and this something is for me that today is not any more acceptable as your people if you invite a sponsor uh, we had inside the paddock more Lamborghini and Ferrari than normal cars. So it means that plenty of people with a lot of money were there. FNH transport, the, the boss were, was there with a fantastic Ferrari, other people with some Lamborghinis. And so the, the paddock looks like everyone is making an effort to grow. And then on Sunday, it was almost impossible for the rider to join the truck as it was completely busy completely full of people so i don't know what to do i'm not the manager of the paddock i'm not organizing and but we had two row of cars parked nearby the in-front truck where all the bosses from in front fim and are supposed to park and i don't understand why they need to be inside the paddock they're not able to walk i don't think if someone is not able to walk because uh, as an handicap, uh, of course, you need to have places inside the truck, the truck, the paddock. But otherwise, everyone is able to, to walk and you can have a VIP parking just out of the gate and not take place in a paddock that was so narrow uh, just because they are supposed to be the bosses. Or... So that's something that I really don't agree. The parking outside the track where... We were supposed the media and the B permanent B parking uh, of our cars was full already from Friday with campers, van, uh, plenty of tractors, and was absolutely not organized. The parking was put your car where you want. That's all, and so everyone was putting the car in pff, incredible way, like an Italian parking in Napoli uh, or in Rome, and. Yeah, I mean, 2023, Dutch GP, while you see uh, how a Formula One event is organized in Zandvoort uh, last weekend or stuff like that, or what we had in past, for example, in Assen, I know that those structures are much bigger and they have a lot more money to do. But I think that still you can do things much better, uh, just organizing and planning a little bit better uh, your parking, your paddock, uh, your track. So I know what I'm saying will probably cost me something, but it's we we, we I I say I, I said this year plenty of times that the race was fantastic, the paddock was great, public was fantastic, everything was. We had honestly a very good season uh, on this point, but this GP left me with a kind of uh, yeah, uh, I think that they had. To work a lot to do it better. Left for the, left for the kind of few after the uh, after the <laughs> event, making sure that there are no uh, injuries. So, are you talking about the the section with the tree? Are you talking about the one where Vlandron ended up exiting? Yeah, 
to, to the left because I, I I noticed how close he was to a tree when he came up when he yes came to about there. I, I wish I could have seen a, another angle from that crash because it looked to me as though Ferrato gave him a big out big one of those you know big big out yeah. going into the corner and yeah did, yes. did, did that happen did you see it from did you see the crash from her? No, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Did, did I better push him? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, Lisa interviewed him for the TV and I was like, come on, ask him, ask him. Did he push it? <laughs> yeah. She didn't. <laughs> I was, I was talking also with the, with the TV production uh, uh, as I was recording uh, a few interviews for the behind the gate, uh, the 26 minutes. And what, what I think is a fantastic product that it's something new this year that honestly has a great value. But uh, I, I told them we, you, I mean, not we, but you need to go to change a little bit the way to communicate on social media and on interview and stuff like that. Not just finding, you know, the bad side of the races, but to find a little bit of spice. And when you have something like that, it's nice to have the riders talking about. Uh, we had this this year a couple of times in the press conference asking like some specific questions about the moment that was maybe a little bit uh, too hard or too you know, uh, more exciting than others. And it's it's something that just gives a better value to the, the series, the complete series, because it's getting a little bit more exciting. So, of course, we, would, we don't want the riders to see the riders fighting and uh, put out each other. But we know that the race is uh, in between athletes that are, first of all, uh, moved by the will of win and everyone will do his best and even a little bit more to overtake the, the other one and uh, when the other one is overtaken and maybe pushed a little bit or something like that it's nice to ask him what we think about and uh, and to just listen to, about the answer and maybe say to the other what you think about this answer and not having a fight we don't need a boxer or, or a wrestling on track but a little <laughs> more spice you know and to use it's not always fair and, and nice it can be rude it can be a little bit more you know so yeah it's interesting yeah. you mentioned that obviously when you guys in the press conference at sweden you were talking to fever about the track and he didn't <laughs> he didn't hold back did he mate you know he was saying this is not racing this is not motocross and you know, we sort of typed up some quotes from that and it just absolutely blew yeah. up on the website because people want to hear about it. They like that bit of edge, that bit of drama when the riders are speaking their minds. So it was pretty cool, mate. But just wanted to get your thoughts on Fever as well. You know, six out of the last seven GP wins. He's sort of not really digging into that points gap much because obviously Prado's won 10 qualifying races. Fever's got three. And yeah, just some more stats from Paul Piercy, if you will. But yeah, top 10 average first lap position in the quality races for Prado, 1.94. And uh, qualifying race laps led for Prado, 122. Fevre, 44. Hurlings, 15. Fernandez, 10. You know, it's pretty crazy. And interesting, the fastest lap times in the qualifying race, Fevre has eight of them, Prado, six. So it's pretty impressive. Fevre's not actually that far behind on qualifying points, about 23 points. But, yeah, Moto wins for Prado, 13. Fevre, seven. GP wins, six. 
for Fevre, four for Hurlings, only two for Prado, which sort of you look at the points and you think it's quite staggering. And But yeah, that top average first lap in the motos is 2.47. So it's pretty impressive what he's doing. He's obviously led 194 laps. Prado to Fevre's 159. Then the next is Siwa on 62. So what more can you say about those two? The battle's been impressive, even though Fevre probably feels like he hasn't been rewarded for his excellent riding in the last couple of months. But yeah, that issue in Spain definitely cost him. But yeah, Prado, the management's been supreme, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, if we we need to look about where he lost, I mean, it didn't. It, nothing is lost yet, but where the gap was made was made, of course, in Spain. Uh, while with sixty points uh, to give, uh, he lost for sure more than forty, uh, because uh, at that moment he wasn't so dominating, but he was doing pretty well, and uh, it could come out with like around forty points for sure. So those are already are almost the half of the gap that he has today. Then you have those 23 points uh, made um, from Prado uh, in, in the qualifying race more than him. And that's another point. And then I think the beginning of the season, while he had this operation at arms uh, and he wasn't able to perform superbly, but he was doing his job. Uh, but you, you put all together and you understand where he lost the championship if he will lose the championship uh, at the, in Matele Basin or in Majora. So uh, that's clearly uh, where uh, there is this gap of points is is made by. But uh, in the meantime, I have to say that, yeah, it was dominating the last seven rounds because uh, six victories out of seven GPs is something that uh, you don't see often. You don't see often since a while. Uh, we saw it maybe with Stefan. We saw it uh, in a mix two with Jeffrey. We saw it with Tony. Uh, but you don't see so often in the past seasons, in the past years. And uh, and is impressive. But for me, it's more impressive that with six victories out of seven GP, he's not able to dig the the the, the gap from, from Prado. But this is because when people say that Prado is managing with his points and he's not taking risk, and it's not true. Most of those GP, Prado came out with like two victories out of three motos many times. Not always, but many times. So Prado is still pushing a lot but he's managing better with mistakes. Uh, the only few mistakes that he did uh, that are really, I mean, costing him a lot were in uh, Lommel, probably, more than other places. But for the rest, is he, really uh, so consistent that uh, it's difficult then to take many points out of him. And while those two riders are dominating completely, this part of the season without Jeffrey and with Jeremy not really uh, doing the job is that when one is first, the other is second. When the other is first, the one is is second. So the gap is always in between one, two, three points maximum each moto. And one time is one, the other is the other. So they are going quite equal. So Prado is uh, at the moment a machine uh, not making mistakes, doing it always on the podium, a part of Spain, but it was equal points with Fernandez. And uh, and it's always there, as you said, in the top 10. The worst qualifying, I think, was Arco di Trento with the ninth place or something like that for the rest. And, and that was surprising after the beginning of the season, how it went the beginning of the season. But in the meantime, he's able always to be there and to have the situation under control. 
what it makes me thinking a lot is that Roman is really able, for example, to overtake in the beginning of the race. First lap, second lap is so good on coming back. Maybe if he's not starting first, but like third or fourth, he's really able to push and to move and to, to gain positions. What Prado looks like is not really. Even Prado, sometimes he lose position at the beginning. A part of his, if he start in front, it's then really difficult to, to catch him. But if he's not first, he's second, third, he, he, sometimes he lose one or two positions. But for the rest, they both are doing a fantastic job. I think that Roman is paying a little bit also about few mistakes that he did that at the moment are not so often. He, he do mistakes at quite every GP that cost him maybe only the victory of that moto and he win the GP then. But he win with equal points, with one more points, two points more than Prado, but he could be much more. It could be six, seven points. And then maybe... Uh, it could have made the difference at this point and the points instead of 90-something, it could have been like 60. What is much more interesting than with three races to go? Yeah, I mean, um, looking at the, the table I've got in front of me here, I mean, uh, Fevre lost uh, quite chunky points at the start of the year, like you said there, uh, Lorenzo. You've got uh, in uh, Sardinia, 28 points compared to Prado's 40. Um, back to Trentino, 27 points compared to Prado's 45. So there's there's the That's top huge. up. Those those yeah. two those two GPs there top up the uh, the the several that he lost there in um, uh, in Spain as well, obviously from being absent. So, yeah. uh, but also another factor is Prado's consistency. Uh, you said about thirteen moto wins there, Ed. I mean, ten of those yeah. are first motos. Yes, you know, yes. 10, ten of the thirteen is first motos. So he's always getting out early. He's putting Roman under pressure, um, and also since uh, he went went one uh, one in Germany. He's only twice been outside the top three. Yeah. And that was a sixth uh, race, two in Sweden, and fourth at Arnhem. And even, I mean, I think this is part of Joel Smet's influence as well at Arnhem. He didn't like the track. He said it quite no. clearly in the first race interview. Yes. This, uh, I, I kind of get flowing. I cannot, uh, I get, so I'm, I'm hitting holes everywhere. And I'm, as soon as the interview finished, I'm on the TV saying, uh, well, that was a bit moany. You know, that was uh, there moaning away at the circuit that he just won on. Um, but, you know, so it's, it was pretty impressive. But you look at the season as a whole, um, He his worst result is sixth in a Grand Prix moto. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah. in, in the actual Sunday races, he has never finished outside the top six, um, yeah. and only three times has he been that far down. Um, it was at the beginning of the season, it was always uh, like was, first and yeah. uh, Argentina, <laughs> Sardinia, uh, so Argentina race two, Sardinia race yeah. two, Portugal yes. race two, and yes. Sweden race two. Crazy. So, you know? yeah, and it's it's amazing to see that. Uh, uh, while we arrived in Spain, so it was probably the first quarter of the championship, Roman was leading the points of the qualifying motos for one or two points on Jorge only, and not much, but it was leading the points of, of the qualifying moto. What is surprising, because Prado was like winning the first, second race, but then he had that bad race in, uh, yeah, in Arco di Tratto. What yeah. affected a lot of the points, and we were still at the beginning of the championship. But Roman was the best out of uh, the MXGP, all the MXGP riders in the qualifying mode. Then, of course, uh, this race in Spain, I think it cost him a lot, really a lot. Uh, it was uh, interesting while I asked to Roman if he was 
frustrated frustrated about the fact that he was winning, 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 but not able to dig points, to gain points on, on Jorge. And he said, you know, at the beginning when you win, it's fantastic. The feeling is incredible. But after two, three, four times, you realize, first of all, that it will not get forever. So uh, more or less in the next race or the, the other one, you will stop winning. So this already something that he, he mean, it means that he was approaching the races like it will be really difficult now to win just for a statistic point of view, from a statistic point of view. And yeah, then certainly interesting. Yeah. And he said the feeling of winning is great. But when then you realize that you don't gain so many points on your rival, it's frustrating. It's yeah. because every one of us, you know, of course, look for a, a Sunday win, but it's the bigger picture what really matters. Yeah, so, it's got to be sort of playing on his mind a lot and sort of adjusting his mindset and just sort of being a source of frustration because he's doing everything he can and it's not really showing in a tangible yeah. end product, is it? Yes, exactly. It's absolutely like that. I just wanted to also ask you, Lorenzo, as we sort of move away from Arnhem, it's obviously cool to see some other guys in that top 10. Obviously, guys are getting back fifth. It's good to see him. He's building for next year. And Renault as well, getting sixth. And Ferrato keeps showing what he's made of on all surfaces, doesn't he? He's good at everything. And, yeah, he certainly flexes the muscles. You know, he's a big man, and he did a bit of a shove, as Ben Rumbold saying on Calvin there. And, yeah, you don't often see Valandra not in the top 10, so that's one of the very few times he's had a couple of rough rounds. But, things out of his control. But yeah, Jonas and Bogers in the top 10. And great to see Ben Watson picking up 10th. He's gathering a bit of momentum as well. Yeah, I think it, it was interesting uh, to see uh, some of the riders that uh, were a little bit of struggle, like Ben uh, uh, coming back on, uh, on a good result. Uh, Poltz was, uh, was doing his job uh, in a good way, in a proper way. Uh, Bogers also uh, was uh, finally riding a little bit better but i think it's just a question of sand the soil was suits him really well and he was able just to uh ride over the problems that affected him uh, for the old for the old year i was really surprised about calvin as uh, uh every gp that while we talk after the gp uh, calvin is uh, a little bit like alberto always one of the few riders that we always say, wow, it's great, it's fantastic, he's doing a fantastic job. He's always there, he's always there. And I was expecting for that kind of race on this specific soil uh, to see him uh, in a better position. But uh, the crash, of course, affected uh, uh, his race. But to me, was never feeling really completely at ease like we saw in Sardinia or in uh, Lommel. Uh, I don't know if this can be a kind of complete different uh, uh, preparation, you know, during the win winter time, because we saw him growing and improving so much on the hard pack, so much on the soils like Spain, like Lockett, like races that for him are a nightmare usually. And he was doing, for example, I think Spain is one of his best races this year, while this is the worst track. The last one he will race, he, want, he would like to race, you know, but so I don't know if there was a change in his programs just to uh, try to be better on the hardback as it, on, on the sur sand surface and soft surface. Last year, he showed that he, he could win even with a double uh, moto win. So maybe it was this, and uh, but the hard name, uh, was, I was really surprised to don't see him performing well overall, you know. 
uh, Alberto was doing very well uh, as uh, as many times this year. Uh, he is surprising me every time uh, I should be used to, but uh, when you see this big boy coming out of the gate, uh, struggling in the start because of his weight uh, and turning at the first corner, 13, 12, 14, and then start to coming back, coming back, come back, like in Finland, like in Sweden, like in Arnhem, and recovering position, it would be nice. It's really tricky in our uh, um, uh, in our world to have a, um, a standings, I mean, a, a classment of the overtake of the season. But to me, I think that this year, nobody overtake more than Alberto. Of course, because he starts far, and so it's easier to recover from 15 to 9, for example, than from 5 to 1st, that's for sure. But uh, if we have to to find someone that is, he found out the way to overtake, even on tracks where everyone was saying, oh, it's really difficult to overtake here, like Finland, for example, it was him. Yeah, he's been, uh, been a force to be reckoned with, for sure. I've been thoroughly uh, enjoying Ferrato's rides as uh, a fan of uh, seeing, should we say, bigger boned riders. It's uh, it's good to see uh, Ferrato getting right up there. And yeah, it's not just uh, tiny whippets that uh, get out of the gate and uh, stay there, you know. So yeah, that's. Uh, I think it's always good for the sport to have a big guard. I like pushing people around like Dijka used to and, uh, and yes. Desal was always a bit good at that as well, to be fair to him. So um, yeah, with the thoughts of uh, the nations building up as well, I mean, uh, I know probably going to cover a bit of the nation stuff later, Ed, but uh, yeah, so if, apologies if I'm jumping the gun there, but it's, good to, it. Renault, it's good to see Renault getting a start. I mean, he did he did put a classic uh, non-Sand yep. Riders crash at uh, at uh, Arnhem. I mean, that one that was, he was just in a position on the bike that no Dutchman would ever find himself in. You know, he was like <laughs> dead centre in the bike, front wheel dug in, over he went, and it was like, yes. <laughs> that's either ring rustiness or just not a natural sand boy so um but yeah even so seventh and sixth has got to be quite encouraging in that sort of going for him and uh, again surely only building for um should we say justifying him being picked over for Andis, uh is a bit of a a, a strange one for me and uh, even got Dylan thinking that he should be American maybe so but that was a, a comment that I'm sure he'll <laughs> suffer for if he ever races back in these uh, French shores again <laughs> yeah but then you, uh, I, I follow yeah, it a sorry. little bit this no no I mean this discussion about uh, Ferrandis uh, and, and the French team but then I mean the numbers uh, came out and I cannot really uh, see and the federation doing such that big mistakes because while Yamaha asking for seventy thousand dollars to be there at the race, and that was uh Dylan said in an interview with uh, Le Big, uh, you know, the French guy. Uh, then I mean, it's I understand the federation, they, they have already so many expenses. They, I, I know, I mean, I'm working with French riders. Each French rider who is wearing the sticker of the Federation is getting money at every race. Uh, they support the young riders program. They support uh, school and uh, meetings and stuff like that for the young riders. We had, I was working this year with Mano 4. He was 13 years old. Three times this year, there was a campus on a professional track with instructors from the Federation. The French Federation sent every time 
two to four person at every GP just to follow the riders, to advise the riders, to record videos and show them where they do mistakes, where they do good. And then the team is fantastic. They do preparation and they do uh, team uh, work even with 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 the uh, with for the motocross of nation team building uh, they have fantastic coach uh, they took and it cost a lot of thing to have Gautier Polen in, uh, in in the in the federation stuff like that so they spend a lot of money i i was reading a lot of comments from uh, uh, some french people complaining about the cost of the license in france that is i think 200 euros or something like that for each for, for a year uh, and they say, ah, with all this money they are getting for us, they could pay for, for the land. But when one only rider, and we are talking about not choosing in between Dylan Ferrandis and myself, and then I will agree with the, with the fans, but the decision is to, in between Dylan Ferrandis, that is having a good season, okay, but not the best season possible, and um, a fighter, a pure fighter like Ferrandis is, that is uh, Maxime Renault, that is building up his season after the big injury he had, and for sure able to do a good result on that track if he's in a good conditions. But 70,000, so seven zero thousand dollars to just send a bike from America to Europe while here he will have the support of Yamaha with the factory team, then everything. They have only to send one mechanic, two bikes, yeah. or one bike, one engine, and to pay the ticket that they do always eh, with French riders. All the French riders that are coming back for the nation, they use this kind of uh, uh, airplane ticket to come back to Europe for free. I know this. Yeah. It's not a scandal. It's normal. They are living in America. They come back for holidays. They do the race and then they stay a little bit more and they don't go back immediately. They are smart enough to do this. But $70,000 to have just one of the three riders there, Crazy. I mean, it's not yeah. free from, from Yamaha in America. I mean, so I agree that they pick up uh, uh, Maxim. I'm sorry because it's always fun and nice to see uh, Dylan riding is a great rider, is another good fighter, and it could be a plus value. But a plus value, if you if your second choice is a really another rider, not at the same level. But to me, at the moment, Maxim Inerne can be at the same level of uh, of Dylan. So it's uh, it's not a scandal to me. A scandal yeah. was ask $70,000 to come over. And that this request is not coming from Dylan, eh? that's for sure. No, it's coming from no. his team. So just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, right. then, right. and especially yeah. when you've got Fevre and Vial. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that is great insight, Ed, exactly like you say. I mean, that, that, that just answers the question. That's exactly why you know is not that far off Dylan's level for sure, especially when you've got Fevre to lead the way. And, 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 now suddenly the French Federation and Vial have kissed and made up, and everybody is sweet and rosy. <laughs> what what happened there? What happened? Yeah. Why did that take three years? <laughs> yeah. You know, last year uh, Tom didn't didn't make it to to Red Bud as uh, he decided to stop and have a little operation, like uh, Roman uh, did also last year at the end of the season. So that's the reason why they weren't at the at the nation. But uh, it's much easier with with uh, Tom. 
because it's a factory KTM rider. Uh, the team knows exactly what bike he has there. He, they probably even don't ship the bike to Europe. They would just build up a new one here for him. And it, the cost would be the price for the ticket and just few stuff, you know, for his mechanic. But those guys are working for the factory. Uh, so it's much easier when you have it's it's your worker is working in America. You pay him a travel to come over here and and do the job here for a for a weekend. That's all. So that's much much easier. And uh, uh, I I mean, for sure, Tom was the best pick for the for the Feder French Federation in MX2 uh, because first of all, uh, Marc Antoine Rossi is he's still a little bit injured, so don't know when he will be back riding, and and it's also a rider that is doing quite well in America. I mean, not the best season probably or the season he was expecting for, but still uh, he's a world champion and we know how he, he can ride in Erne. Yeah, it'll be fascinating yeah. seeing how he goes and just before we sort of mix the nations chat in again, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Lucas Kuhn and obviously you were on site of that frightening accident he had in Sweden. He was alright, wanted to ride the next day, didn't get clearance, but yeah, he came out and in Arnhem and he was just on rails again. He's fearless. It's just staggering the mindset of the young bloke. He just wants to win. Second's not good enough. He was just charging so yes. hard. Obviously had a few mistakes, but it's just absolutely <laughs> wild seeing a kid that young with that much speed and that much talent and just absolutely no fear about anything he's doing. He just wants to win. And he'll be a pretty exciting proposition at the Nations, seeing all these guys fight against the likes of Hunter Lawrence, I guess, too. So a few <laughs> words for him, mate, from Arnhem, because he was nothing short of impressive. <laughs> You know, uh, if you know, if you don't know them, if you don't know the Kunan brothers uh, and the father and the family, uh, probably from outside, uh, they can also appear a little bit like, uh, I don't know if it's the right word in English, supponent, like, uh, you know, people that are really thinking that they're just the best and they don't care about nothing. But in fact, <laughs> Lucas is, uh, is a funny guy. He's a really funny kid. And... Uh, I love this kind of uh, um, way to come on the podium uh, like he did in Lommel. Say, sorry, guys, I wanted to win. I, I don't want to be second here. I, I, I'm supposed to win this race. And But the way he say, the way he act, is uh, in a kind of innocent way. As you said, he's a wild boy uh, doing everything. And first of all, he's not scared about anything. And of course, about anybody. So it's, this is helping him uh, a lot. Uh, to me, what is surprising is that last year he did the same in the MX250, winning seven out of uh, the last eight motos. And it looks like uh, once he, he knows his environment, one is, once he's uh, at ease in his environment, so in his series, he knows his rivals, in other tracks, it's really, really difficult to beat him. Most of the time, probably, he beat himself with a big mistake, with a big crash. But otherwise, it's, it's quite tricky to beat him. Don't forget that uh, in Germany, he could have three wins with the qualifying race. First moto and second moto win, easy. But then uh, the problem was uh, the chain, the stone and stuff like that then um, in Indonesia he won the race astonishing then he gets sick completely sick even not sure to race and still he made that 
for sure two top 10 results and he was able to be don't remember now but it was okay then again good races in Lommel good races many places so uh, I will not be surprised if uh, before the end of the season few more victories will come out but when he's not it's because he's doing too much and he's pushing too much and he's making mistakes but this is a part of uh, uh the grown, you know, of a rider that uh, is just find his limits. And uh, I hope he will never find his limits, like, for example, uh, Jet is doing in America or um, Erlings did in past. Because I think that we are in front uh, of one of those specific, pure, talented riders that we see just few times in, in, in our career. And uh, I hope that everything will go well for him. I hope he will stay in Europe as much as possible. I hope that they will combine him. But I know also that in the KTM group, and this is, of course, part of the strategy, and uh, we cannot blame uh, uh, them for, for this, the fact that they need good riders in America to succeed over there. So I think that now they will start to create uh, the strategy will be to create program for the young riders, for the amateur riders there, like they have the junior factory teams in Europe, just to build up more young talents there. Uh, because at the moment, there's a big lack of talent in every team. Oskarna, Gasgas, KTM, doesn't matter. Uh, the two podiums uh, in, in, the nation, in, in the national series were made by Vial coming from Europe. Um, in, mode, in Supercross was the same. Uh, uh, Tom was the best uh, rider, but still there, there was the, a big lack of, of performance. So uh, they need riders like that. And in Europe, they have so many that they are able to send their few of the best talents uh, and, and don't keep it here. So uh, that that's a little bit a shame for us that uh, we lose uh, those talents here. But in the meantime, they remain in, in, in our world, uh, but on the other side of the ocean. And anyway, it will be exciting to see how his career will just uh, develop. Yeah, it was, good. it was great to see him being interviewed just before that second race, saying that he literally just told Lisa Layden that he was going to make everybody pay. I thought, <laughs> just, I mean, no, there was no way in hell you were going to doubt him. You know, you were absolute. Yeah, yeah everybody's going to pay, and you know it. I mean, and he, yeah. and he was that last lap pass only by Everts that really denied uh, Kuhn in the overall win. So, uh, yes. and of course, yeah, the crash in the first uh, in the first race there. But uh, it, it amazes me that he hasn't won more. But I kind of feel like we're seeing a little bit of a, uh, should we say, a, like a Jean-Michel Bale in '87 sort of thing to it where like you know he's picking and picking and then suddenly boom next year so yeah i i would be surprised if he uh didn't win more than 50 percent of next year's grand prix um you know i think he's he's that level and uh yeah one one more year and one more um uh, one more winter of preparation and obviously yeah all subject to not getting injured and all that sort of business then uh oh. yeah so one thing that uh i wanted to check with you lorenzo you might have this sort of insider knowledge on uh, lucas kunin is he related to mark valconeers the old uh belgian 125 flyer do you remember it from the from the 80s because because uh. 
Val- yeah. Valconius has the name Kunan in his uh, after his surname in on online. Yeah. So I, I just yeah. I looked him up just because they look so alike, and I'm like, you know, so yeah. Is, are, are they are they related? Are they related? How can I find this out? <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't think as if I'm not completely wrong. Uh, his father, his father is is not coming from this environment. Uh, if I'm not okay. completely wrong, uh, but I don't know. It's uh, it's a good question to to ask them. I was, you know, I was thinking that uh, because I I saw a picture, few pictures uh, this uh, week uh, made by Pascal Odiger, and Pascal was publishing some pictures of uh, the Hunter uh, brothers uh, riding in Europe with uh, Bud racing Kawasaki and that was a few years ago <laughs> and mm. uh, and then I was thinking that uh, uh, the Kunen brothers also came from there and uh, I was thinking that next year Matisse Valin will be there that Dylan Ferrandis I think was there that many they had so many good talents coming through the team and riding for them and i i don't understand how it's possible that with all those incredible riders if i'm not wrong they probably never won anything but Mm. (laughs) probably yeah they have a very good talent on picking up fantastic talent so like they scouting a lot of talents through the seasons and uh, and, and pure talents because Chet Lawrence, uh, Dylan Ferrandis, uh, the Kunan brothers, Hunter Lawrence. I mean, we're talking about the best of probably the, the, the young riders we, we have around today. But in the meantime, yeah. they weren't able to keep with them. And not because, like, if you are in a KTM program, VRT, for example, they have two very good riders that are growing very well. Of course, if they are growing too much, they will move to the factory team, still in the KTM group. But this is normal. It's their job. They do this yeah. for the factory. But those riders, they didn't move to Kawasaki factory, you know. They went to other teams. They disappear mm-hmm. from that ambient. And it's, it's. I was just curious, you know, about, about this because... It's uh, it's ingra- incredible the number of talents, the pure talents they had uh, with them in the past 10, just 10 years, because since long time they do this. But just in the last 10 years, they had some of the best talents in the world. And they all are winning a lot, but different brands, different teams. Coming not in green. Yes, it's, uh, it must be frustrating, I guess. Indeed. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to Spees the other day and he said, you know, like six, seven years ago, whatever, he was racing Jet Lawrence in the ADAC and Jet had to borrow his like arm guards and protection because they <laughs> didn't have the required stuff to actually race. So that was a pretty cool little story. And he was also saying that when he was a youngster, Ken Roxon like helped him get the bike up that it was stuck in when he was riding, you know, on the track. So it's pretty cool that he's had sort of had those relationships with those guys and just looking ahead to the finish off with a bit of Nations chat. Obviously, since we last spoke, there's been a few more teams announced. Obviously, Switzerland's very strong. Siwa, Gio and Tonus and Brumman and Guerta in reserve. So 
South Africa's had McClellan, Duro and Wright. I'm assuming, I think there's like a thing there where they have to pick domestic riders. So I think you're not seeing Tristan and and this kind of thing. And obviously Phelps and Slade Smith over in America as well. And the Czech Republic's come out with Mikola, who's a great talent, Kovar and Terasaka, who does the ADAC and even did some AMA. So Sweden's got Bengtsson, who everyone knows pretty well. The same with Gifting and Oslin. Pretty strong team. And Finland's even got a great team with Weckman, Steven and Havisto. Latvia's obviously got Paul Jonas and the Rizoulis brothers. Very talented team, that one as well. And we're still waiting for some of our teams, aren't we? We're still waiting for GB. We're still waiting for Australia. We're still waiting for Italy. And we're still waiting for the USA. So just your pick of the bunch there, Lorenzo. And I guess we'll just keep waiting. And we're still waiting for Holland, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That will be another, another, another good one. As, uh, uh, of course, Glenn is doing the job. Calvin is doing the job. I don't see Jeffrey coming coming back uh, and ready to race. If, as I they told me, the stop will be five weeks, so it would be supposed to come just uh, back uh, a few weeks before the race. So not sure that he will do. But then you have Rick Elzinger. You have plenty of fantastic young riders uh, that can race MX2. Kaide Wolf, if. He will be back at the races. I mean, so um, that will be another interesting team. For what concern, of course, uh, my favorite team. Uh, so I'm talking about Japan. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure who will. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. <laughs> but talking about uh, Spain, today uh, we had a, a, a little news without the name of the riders. So for sure, Prado, Fernandez, and... It would be interesting to see the third rider uh, of the team. Uh, but for... Sorry? Oliver? Yeah, I think Sorry. so. I think so. Is the rider who is performing better and also that has grown more than anybody else, probably also in MX2. And uh, good not only <laughs> In between the, mm-hmm. the, the Spanish, because he has done really a, a huge step compare to to the past years and for what concerns the italian team uh then alberto uh, in my opinion uh, is the mxgp rider uh, of course adamo is the mx2 rider uh, what about the open class rider i think we have three options uh, in this moment uh, specific moment uh, alessandro lupino is in pole position as is riding uh, very excited to go in Turkey to see Mattia Guadagnini back. Looks that Mattia is uh, coming back strongly and uh, uh, in his way. So happy and uh, uh, funny and uh, performing well. So it would be not easy to be at the gate for the first time after so long, but uh, he's back. So Mattia also can be the open class rider. And the other one that the, <laughs> the other one, the other realistic option that is not Cairoli. <laughs> I mean, why not? In MX2, <laughs> I would put Cairoli. Seeing the race he did in Belgium, I will put him in MX2, I guess. <laughs> but he, he doesn't like so much Erne. That's the reason why I will not. <laughs> but uh, I would, I was, I will honestly, uh, I would be very curious to see. Andrea Bonacorsi for the first time on a 450, maybe with a title, um, one more title on his shoulder uh, with a EMX 250 title. But uh, Andrea is big, is tall, 
uh, is really strong and uh, is a fantastic uh, strength and uh, and I think he, he can do pretty well since the beginning and maybe Matterly Bessin I mean maybe Erne sorry is not the best track ever for him because he preferred the soft soils he preferred the sand he preferred but still can be an option in case uh, Alessandro and Mattia are not sure these last three races to be ready to really to fight for something important. Yeah, before I let you finish up with some motocross the nations thoughts, Ben, I was going to ask Lorenzo about, obviously Germany's a bit of an underrated one, really great riders, got a pretty solid production line coming. They've got Langenfelder, obviously he's elite, Spees, Koch, Nagel and Roxen. They're always hopeful you speak to the German guys and they're always hold out hope that he might just <laughs> flip the script and join in, but they've got some pretty good depth and they could definitely turn some heads as well, couldn't they, mate? Yeah, I think that uh, the only rider that is really sure to be there is, is Simon. Yeah. As, uh, is doing pretty well. He will uh, have, of course, the mixed two plays. But what concerns the other two riders, I know that, uh, I mean, no, everyone know that it would be fantastic to see Ken, but uh, this will not happen. Uh, it would be nice to, to, to see Max. Uh, while is leading at the moment uh, the MX1 class uh, in the ADAC championship, so he's doing pretty well. And we saw some good performance through the season from uh, uh, Spies and uh, Tom Koch, but still, to me, in my opinion, not good enough to have then a very strong team fighting for something more than a top 10, you know. I just wanted uh, to say quickly on speeds, it's pretty amazing the progression, obviously, stepping up. He's yeah. still so young, but he was telling me, you know, just a couple of years ago, he was getting lapped in AMX 250. So to see where he is now, it's nothing short of remarkable, is it? Yeah, it is. It is, absolutely. Um, don't forget that it was a Fantic Madi rider. Yeah. And uh, that's, mm, to me, it's always a sign, you know, because... Of course, in this team, there are riders that are picked to make the job and riders that pay to make the job because they, they need uh, as many uh, teams to have someone that also brings something. And I don't know if Max was one of those, but I know that every one of those riders is a talented rider normally in Madi. And Corrado has a special talent with Marco to pick good talents. Uh, so I'm not surprised that finally... Uh, is doing it, but I'm happy for him as he's one of the really nicest person in the paddock, always smiling, always saying hello, always stop for a chat, and uh, and he's doing his job pretty pretty well. Uh, I remember while he was crowned uh, European champion in uh, Mantova, uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, open class or two stroke as well, two stroke class, two stroke class. And he was happy as he have won the the MXGP championship probably, but it was a kind of innocence in this, you know, uh, while he was cheering on the podium, and he was happy, deeply happy, and uh, and I think it's nice to see him growing through the season and uh, and doing it also because I, I know mm, those kind of teams. Uh, they always struggle to find budget, to find staff, to put all the pictures together. And while while they do, it's nice because finally uh, everything uh, get in place. Yeah, for sure. I, I have been told the Team GB lineup by the team manager. Um, 
but he said to me at the weekend, he said, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you can bring your ear as close as you like to the microphone. And unless in the next 10 minutes my phone bings up that they have actually announced it, they said they would announce it on Tuesday. Um, and the, the article is written, ready to post onto MX Vice. It might even have to get posted after I've left MX Vice. But, yeah, apart from that, that's how it goes. But, uh, yeah, the, um, the announcement has been made. Um, there are rumours that uh, Matterly is the next track. 24 nations apparently um that's that's what uh um i've been told uh as uh you know some people just said it matter of factly other people said this might be happening so we'll see um but yeah the 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 team obviously with team gb is very much uh all, all of the experienced riders are now either too old or just not available uh or um or just not riding as well uh, should we say, and maybe maybe it's a bit unkind to say too old. Although uh, after their VMX DN races, everybody's singing that Tommy Searle should ride it on a two fifty two stroke uh, at Erne. That's what he's saying. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, and also yeah, on the topic of two strokes, Spees has been in conversations to race Madly on a two stroke. Whether it happens or not, he's not sure, cool. but he was keen for it. That's cool. That's cool. I've, I've got the I've still got the premix perfume in my moustache. You know, every time I was a, a little inhaled at my top lip. <laughs> You can smell the smell the premix in there, the the sort of two stroke pre premix perfume, two stroke cologne. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a good weekend. Um, but yeah, so as far as the British team goes, um, they have to go with uh, a younger team. And uh, yeah, that's about as much as I can say, really. So uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave so it at that. It could be someone so, like Bobby Bruce or or something. I don't like think that. Bobby's quite fit enough yet. Ah, he's not, okay. Yeah, he's not, I don't think he's quite uh, quite there physically. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. It's a quite a tough moment for for British motocross. I mean, yeah. while you see this Foxhill event uh, last week, uh, uh, while you see so many fantastic riders from the past, good riders from the past, and and you see the reality today of the riders, uh, it's it's a uh, it's a shame that you don't have so many. And like MXGP, there are none uh, good riders yeah. at the moment. Uh, uh riding constantly in the championship that's uh yeah yeah well, you um, think there, there, are, there are moves in the british championship and um uh, there's been some adjustments to one of the big national series here to try and uh encourage the riders to uh, uh to have like a qualification system similar to gps but um also in the last few years we've seen youth championship run on the same weekend as the main british championship so they are on adult tracks you know, getting used to the, the roughness and the ruts. And I think there's a couple, there's two or three half promising riders. Uh, it just, uh, the eternal British problem of that stretch of water uh, before they go to France is where all the energy just drains from them. They leave all the speed <laughs> in the English channel. And, uh, you know, that just seems to be the way it is, you know, and then they go overseas, they're all scary. Everybody talks a different language. What is going on? Oh my God, I'm not the big man anymore. And no speed left, you know? So that just seemed, no speed, no confidence, gone, gone, gone. It's just, you know, it's, I mean, you know, my uncle, I'm just, just to digress a bit on that, on the British thing, my uncle used to love, my uncle Neil Hudson used to go overseas and love it because he went from being the centre of attention in the British Championship. Everybody was either looking at Neil or they were looking at Graham Noyce. You know, that was it in the in the late yeah. 70s, early 80s. Yeah. So when he went overseas, nobody's looking at him and he just flies, just concentrates, goes on his own. Dave Thorpe went overseas and went faster. He just rose yeah. to the occasion. 
and it's just and Kurt Nickel was very unlucky. Tommy Searle was very unlucky. Th- those two guys could yeah. have been world champions quite easily. Yes. Jamie, Jamie Dobb had to go to America, get his backside kicked by Mitch Payton, and then you know he grew up and then he came back and was world championship material. But uh, there's something about our guys; they need to get out there. But yeah. um, and especially because I know the family. Um, talking to Billy Askew and his parents. That kid might have the right uh, the right brain, so we'll yeah. see. I, I was him, thinking, him and his friend Reese Jones, they they have got the sort of mentality where they don't care, and I don't care what language they speak, who it is, they will race them hard. So fingers crossed. That's all. That's all I can say. Yeah, I was thinking, just considering, just to, to end this uh, argument, that it's maybe because uh, you have such a good championship because in the european championships the the uk championship is one of the few where other riders from outside i'm thinking about monticelli bob rishev uh, uh, some of those riders they there because they are paid better than in a world championship doing the british series you have yeah. some very good teams there some very good bikes some uh, a lot of public uh, that goes at, at the races that looks like some of the riders are thinking why i have to be in the world championship or in the european championship struggling with budget struggling with money traveling so far and why when i can be here at home gain my life doing my series having a, a good title because when you are a british champion it's a really good title and yeah. just you know having enough to, to do my career, to build up a, a good career. It looks like uh, the, how important is it? Like, for example, the Italian series uh, is a good series, but you never, you will never see in normal times Philippers, Cairoli, uh, Adamo, the top riders, they not ride there. Mm-hmm. It's always for like a second uh, line, you know? Of course, yeah. you have Forato and Lupino, but Lupino, because he's a policeman and he needs the title to for his salary to grow the police wanting to raise that and for Ato because till this year it was always in, in a situation while he needed to do races like that but for the rest um the top riders they never go riding there you never see bonacorsi doing the italian championship since he has mm-hmm. moved to holland or or other top riders tony was one time uh, since I, I know him in the Italian Championship just because to prepare after an injury uh, yeah. uh, because the, our series if you win the series you don't gain one euro probably you know and uh, you're not paid to do this series you do if you are like a good rider good amateur or semi-professional and you have an Italian team that want uh, to do the championship for the sponsors so you do the championship but it looks like to me uh, like the British Superbike is the same as the best Superbike Championship a part of the World Championship. So yeah. all the good British riders, they have a good place there, a good seat there, and they gain uh, good money doing that series. So yeah. before, you go, before you go on with it, Ben, I'm just talking to a lot of the guys that do the ADAC. Obviously, some of them don't do the Flyaway GP, so they do the ADAC with the MXGP. But another added bonus for that is there is prize money for that. 
So that all helps as well when riders are looking for jobs and weighing up which options to do financially. That's definitely a key motivating factor. And they obviously have really well-run series, well-organized TV package, great sponsors, and they can get guys like Hurlings and Jonas to do the weekends like the British guys have a crack at as well. So yeah, you can keep going with that, Ben. I just thought I'd add that on the ADAC, which is a great series too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, it would be nice to have a really well-organized TV series, the British Championship, but that's uh, that's something that's fallen by the wayside this year, sadly. Hopefully they'll repair that for next year. But yeah, you're right, Lorenzo, a, a, British, a good British rider can earn more on this island than they can by go, uh, by leaving yeah. it. And uh, and that is um, that is the, the main issue right now. I mean, uh, if they want to go further afield for a bit of an adventure, they go west. They yeah. go to the USA. Yeah, they go yes. across like, like the Husqvarna guys have yeah. uh, to go and enjoy themselves. Kudos, yeah. I mean, Kudos should be in Grand Prix. You know, I mean, yeah. Kudos got as close to anybody to Jet Lawrence at Unidilla. You know, every 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 American commentator was going, "Who is this guy?" And we were like, "This, yeah. this, this we're like, he's the he's." been second in the british championship for three years so come on you know but yeah this is like like you say people could earn good money here um but and, and not by leaving here so that, that probably is half of the problem but uh we desperately need a world beater in this island right now and that's that's as far as it is but we've, we've also talked nations without talking australia and the usa so i feel like our uh, our listeners might be going what are you doing mx vice don't forget there's australia uh probably the favorites and the usa um, hashtag what they're doing um, that uh, you know could could well be uh, in for discussion here. So should we uh, just have a little a little talk on those before um before we yeah uh... I can give you a quick bit on Australia. I'm pretty sure that I've sort of done it to death on all my podcasts. I seem to end up talking about the Australian motocross and nations team, but I'm guessing at this point it appears be? likely it'll be. be... Yeah, yeah, it'll appear likely it'll be the Lawrence brothers and Mitch Evans, just obviously logistically that would make sense. And there's a lot of chat about Dean Ferris. Obviously, he's an absolute weapon still winning the Aussie MX1 title, but it would seem to probably be the favourites to be the team we had last year, which did excellently. So, And then the USA, there's just constant speculation. It seems to be changing every day. They delayed the announcement. Is Sexton going? Is Sexton going on an HRC bike or a KTM bike? Is Deegan going? Is Barsha going? Kawasaki guys probably aren't going. Is Cooper Webb going? It seems to be it's AP, Hampshire, and maybe one other. So do you bring Kitchen, Hammaker? What do you do? It's a pretty tough one, isn't it, guys? Well, Kitchen Kitchen was on our podcast, the SMX Review, saying that he would go the whole hog. He would spray his hair Stars and Stripes style. So yeah. I think Levi is just waiting for the call-up. I think Levi is ready to go, and I can't wait. Because if, if he's going, I'm definitely going. And I wanted to say hello and say, yeehaw, let me check that, uh, check that uh, hairdo out. <laughs> So, Ed, you think that Australia is the favourite one this year? I would have to go pretty close, obviously, France and the Netherlands. But, yeah, I think I'll I'll go with Australia. Why not, mate? Those Lawrence brothers. And it's so good to have guys that start pretty well. Obviously, Jet is a very good starter. Hunter's a bit hit and miss with the starting. But he can certainly come through the field. Now he's having a really good 250 ride as a massive help. So, yeah, it'll be pretty hard to beat him. But, yeah, you just you never know. The Dutch, the fitness concern's definitely an issue. Hurlings, they're coming back from injuries. Kyder kind of Wolf with the injuries. And, you know, Valandra and Koldenhoff, they've got options everywhere like we've discussed. But Koldenhoff's had a great season, really consistent. So he'll be a force to be reckoned with. And France, that team, like we've discussed, it's impressive, mate. It's just across the board so impressive. So what do you think, guys? Aussies or the French or the Dutch or the USA? You never know. They've always got elite talent, don't they? I'll, um, as I'm, I was trackside at Ernay 2015. It was the first um, motocross I ever took my other half to. So it set the standard far too high because you would never go to a better one than that. And uh, especially, in, uh, yeah, I'll never um, hear the French national anthem the same way again. Fevre was amazing that weekend. 
and uh, I've little to doubt that he will be uh, any worse this year. So I, I think uh, I think the French will take it, but it's going to be mighty close. Lorenzo, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think honestly, it's I'm very excited this year to go to to the nations as. Uh, it will be my 20th uh, Grand Prix of the nation. And uh, I never saw Australia so close, uh, I mean, potentially to the victory, never. Uh, so it would be amazing. I saw, of course, Australia on the podium a few times, but never really coming there as one of the few favorite teams. Uh, I will point a little bit also on Belgium, as Iago with the 450 last year showed that uh, it can really uh, be a problem for everybody. Uh, same for Lucas Conan, as we said before. Uh, so that would be uh, amazing. France is, again, one of the favorite, as you said. Uh, USA would be interesting. But honestly, I don't know uh, if they can be considered as favorite, as Erne is a special track. I saw them racing. I saw them winning on that track, of course, as I said. But we were talking. We are talking about different riders. Uh, uh, Chase is struggling a little bit, even if he's getting podiums and but doing so many mistakes. And Erne is another kind of track where uh, mistakes can cost a lot. Uh, Holland, uh, the Dutch team, can be another strong one, of course, because really solid. Uh, as the Italian team can be good, uh, but just good, you know. Not I will not put them favorite for the podium. Uh, I would say probably uh, between France, Australia, and USA, Holland for the podium, and Belgium. Those five fighting for for the top three for sure. Yeah, well said, man. I think we've done a pretty good little preview of the nations there. Obviously, we're still waiting on the teams we'll chat about in the future. But I suppose to wrap this one up, we'll do predictions for Turkey. We'll start with you, Ben, the maestro from Marnham. I guess I'm going to go Simon Langefelder and Roman Feverer. So what have you got, mate? Right, OK. Um, I think we're going to have uh, the Italiano is going to stamp his authoritato on this championato. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea Adamo. All right. All right. Um, and yeah, I think Prado kind of likes this place. I think he's got history there. And uh, I think he also will be getting slightly fed up uh, at that sort of six GP wins to two GP wins scoreline. So I, I think that Prado will, as much as I know he's managing it and he's controlling it, I think uh, any, uh, any um, true-blooded racer like Jorge is, um, then he will. Um, I think he's going to be be the man. I've got I've got a little quiz for Lorenzo after he does his um, prediction. So don't don't hang up after that. Yeah, I've got a little quiz for him. Uh, I would take. I would probably pick Lucas for the victory in uh, MX2, uh, as I think he's in a very good moment, uh, and he showed in Germany that those kind of uh, hard packs is uh, able to go like also in in. Uh, uh, Indonesia is able to go fast as it goes in the sand. Uh, maybe he's able to put uh, again all the picture together. Uh, even if I think that Iago Gers will try everything 
to sort out another victory after a while. Uh, in the meantime, in MXGP, I agree with you. Uh, I saw Jorge battling really hard uh, for the title in MX2 uh, with uh, with Jonas, uh, and he's um, a rider that can be really good and fast on every track. Uh, last year, yeah, it was uh, Team Geyser winning, if I'm not wrong. Uh, what is uh, today a little bit more difficult uh, because of his condition, but he's growing a lot. And don't forget it in another really hard packed track like was Lockett uh, when he was coming back. He was already the faster on the on the practice, both uh, free and uh, and and time at practice. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I will go for uh, for Jorge and uh, for Lucas. Ben. Yeah, so my little quiz to you then with the Grand Prix winner Arnhem, Romain Fevre became the third most successful ever French rider in terms of Grand Prix. Who are the top two? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, we, I mean, uh, Tom Vial won a lot of uh, races with his two titles as uh, Marvin Musken, but they had short uh of course, short careers in the World Championship. Uh, I think Pichon, maybe, is one of the top two. As uh, He did very well with Suzuki and uh, he won few with us, with Honda. Uh, and uh, oh, that's difficult to say the other one. Uh, maybe it's a not expected one. Uh, I would say in between... Uh, uh, Jean-Michel Bale and uh, uh, someone like in past, uh, Yves de Maria? No. Um, well, there's a slight one on that because um, I, I'm not counting uh, MX3. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You're right. So, yeah, if, if, if you count MX3, then yes, de Maria had 37, but only 17 of those were outside MX3. So uh, okay. uh, I'm, I'm not uh, going to count those because I think MX3 was a bit of a joke. Um, <laughs> for, uh, Michael Pichon, 36 plus two MX3. Yeah. So, yeah, he was the most. Romain got up to 21, which means he just goes ahead of Sebastian Tortelli, who was on 20. Um, yeah. And second most successful Frenchman in Grand Prix wins on 24, Tom Vial. So we oh, have right. numbers two and three all time for France, racing for them at the Nations this year. That's <laughs> cool. That's a very yeah, cool man. statistic. And I hope that Michael Pichon will show up uh, because Le Mans is not so far, so maybe we'll just come to see the race, even if he's uh, a little bit hungry with motocross at the moment, uh, as his son that uh, was trying to get a, to build up a career there was forced to move to to Enduro. Uh, so yeah. he's not showing himself so often uh, since a while. Uh, it's a shame because it's always nice to talk with him uh, and to have a moment with him. But yeah, yeah, that's a very good statistic. Yeah, so Pichon um, via Favre. That's it. Be out, uh, Bale's uh, got 15. So behind, yeah, just 15. So yeah, yeah he's, he's uh, okay. fifth, if you like, really. So yeah, in, yeah. in French. And Christophe French Purcell, team. while we talk. Um, Purcell, hold the line. Hold <laughs> the line, caller. Your call is important to us. Um, <laughs> so i got to keep scrolling. Six Grand Prix. Do, 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 yeah. do. 
<laughs> well, that's a good good note to finish on, lads. And just any final thoughts, firstly, from you, Lorenzo, and then Ben, and we'll wrap this one up. No, just can't wait to be there, to see Mattia back on the bike, back on the gate. What will mean, of course, we miss again Jeffrey Erlings, but uh, we have most of uh, them. And most of everything after this race, we will have Majora back uh, on the, the calendar. So I can't wait to, to see what happened in Majora. I can't wait that maybe two titles will be uh, held in Majora and uh, will be a great opportunity for uh, Andrea and for Prado for sure. But Andrea in Italy, that would be something enormous. Yeah, I'm guessing that Tony Cairoli never won a title in Italy. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> he was okay. He fun. won the nation in Mantova, we can consider yeah, as yeah. a title. So he's 10 times more champion. Yeah, I, I keep my fingers crossed. I might be commentating Eurosport. Um, for Majora. Oh, cool. Uh, cool. I am wait- I'm waiting on the email. Uh, I don't know Fantastic. yet. Oh, I please. Have we shall see. And for the British but, uh, fans, of course. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, that's uh, been a lovely um, podcast. And I think my last one with MX Vice. So um, yeah, it's been a, a pleasure uh, working with you, Ed, and uh, and to be speaking to someone like you, Lorenzo, all the way through. It's been great. And um if I do get to Majora, I'll find you uh, with a, a bottle of Peroni in my hand. All right. That will be brilliant. I'm waiting for you. And uh, yeah, I hope it's not the last. Uh, I know that it doesn't depend about you or me. It was a big pleasure to talk with you, to, with your knowledge and to have all those statistics and uh, nice ideas, you know, to exchange different points of view and uh it's always nice to to grow up uh, ideas and and talks so thanks thanks a lot no problem thanks you're gonna get me emotional ben it's been a pleasure to chat with both of you and yeah great work ben been awesome working with you mate and yeah we'll see what the future holds i'm sure we'll cross paths and you never know you might be back under the mx vice awning before too long so yeah thanks again lads for this one and all the best for a great weekend and we look forward to catching up soon